This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and an author, and my latest book is Find Your Happy at Work. Our focus today is word choice in the workplace and how the language you use in giving feedback may not be saying what you really want it to. Our guest is Kieran Snyder, a world-renowned expert on language and bias at work. Her resume includes creating leading language products at Microsoft and Amazon. Now, Kieran's the co-founder and CEO of Texio, which is an augmented writing platform focused on inclusive and equitable communications. Today, Karen will share key results from her recent research on the frequency of biased language in performance feedback. She'll describe how comments about a person's work can be offensive and discouraging, even if the intent is to say something positive and supportive. And we'll talk about the links between organizational culture and the way people talk. Karen, I'm so excited to have you here today. We're going to be talking about how language can be very biased in the workplace, even when people mean well. And I know you've done tremendous amount of research in how performance feedback uh, language can be uh, very um, biased. But here on uh, this show, we like to hear about our guest's own career path. And I would love to see how you have become a, basically, it sounds like a pioneer linguist in looking at how language can have such an impact in the workplace. So how did you make your way here? Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, You know, going back a really long time, like even into my childhood, I was always kind of at the intersection of language and math. Um, My father is an electrical engineer and he is still running his small company. He's in his 80s now, um, still going strong. And my mother was a writer and I grew up also to be an engineer and a writer and, you know, ultimately led me to study uh, linguistics and math in college and then linguistics and computer science uh, when I got my PhD. So I've always kind of been in the space uh, and spent most of my early tech career working in natural language processing and machine learning uh, in the search space uh, at Microsoft. And so always lots of, uh, technical background in the space, towards the end of my uh, corporate career before founding Textio, which is the company that I am the CEO of today, um, really started getting fascinated by applying all of these statistical techniques for understanding patterns in language that I had used for many years professionally to workplace communication uh, and started looking at patterns that showed up in performance feedback and resumes and job descriptions and some of this really um, common and pervasive and important people-related workplace communication. And that led us to start Textio. So 
Textio looks pretty interesting, but I, I want to get a better sense of your products. Would you, would you tell um, your listeners what it is you're actually doing? What, it, what are your clients getting from you? Yeah, so Textio founded and created the category of augmented writing, uh, and that is what it sounds like. Um, and to help people understand, I, I often ask you to think about the last time you sent a text message or an email that made you a little nervous. You know, maybe um, you were pretty sure you were going to be misunderstood. Uh, and, you, you know, you do your best, you guess, maybe you get a second opinion, um, but ultimately you're guessing. And of course, the more different our audience is from ourselves, the more likely we are to mess it up when we guess. And so Texio's writing software really is designed to help people get beyond guessing. Uh, you know, the, the landmark products are in the recruiting space. So as people are writing their job descriptions or their candidate communication or their career copy, website materials, and so on, they're getting real-time coaching and feedback on how to say what they're saying so that they aren't accidentally guessing wrong, you know, and selecting out parts of their audience that they want to meet. Um, so that's the goal. It's, it's writing software that is really tuned towards inclusion uh, and landing your message the way that you intend to land it. So I, I thought it might be like spell check, but then I, I looked at the example on your website, and I thought, wow, this is more like when you're working on a document with a tactful person and they put a comment in saying, it could be that this would be perceived as. It was very, I thought, supportive kind of feedback that you're giving users. Is that, is that a goal? Yeah. It, you know, think of it like a coach. Um, it's, it's almost like you have a communication coach on your shoulder. Uh, that is helping you get it right before you publish uh, or before you press send on something that's really important. Of course, there are some fundamentals in there, you know, spell checks included, because that's a part of our communication. But the insights go deeper uh, and they really help you understand how you're likely to be received. You know, and, and when, when Jensen Harris and I started the company, it was with the recognition that in all of our decades using computers, you know, we had spell check and we had uh, collaboration in writing on computers, but none of this software did what is arguably the most important thing that software could do, which is to help people get the words themselves right. And that's really what we set out to create. And of course, when you look at some of the patterns that show up across organizations, because the other side of the product is not just the coaching for individual writers, but the, the sort of insight about aggregate patterns of communication across the organization, you can really find a deep relationship between the language that shows up within an organization commonly and the culture of that organization. It gives a kind of insight that is very difficult to get in any other way. Well, looking at, at trends and issues that arise, in order to be responsive, I assume you have to have a lot of research about what is actually happening out there. Is that how uh, you uh, decided to do this? your big recent study on bias and um, performance feedback? 
that you wanted to be able to deal with it in a more effective way? Yeah. So, you know, um, we do have a lot of insight about how different organizations communicate broadly. I'll get to the performance feedback uh, component in a moment. But when you sort of look at organizations as intact cultures and you find, for instance, that Amazon across their career website uses the phrase, whatever it takes 14 times more often than anybody else, or you find that uh, Meta says ruthlessly eight times more often than anybody else, it starts to tell a story about the culture of an organization, right? These words don't show up because there is a brand manager telling people to use them. It shows up across the writing of thousands of people because it represents a value that they share. And so the performance feedback side is a chance to get even deeper. Um, And the thing that was most interesting to me in the recent study that we took a look at, and it was, you know, more than 25,000 people across more than 250 different organizations. Um, While there are some patterns that are organizationally specific, the prevailing patterns of bias around gender and race and age and these aspects of identity transcend any particular organization. So you can definitely see patterns in which groups of people receive which quality of feedback. So again, it's all about having enough data to find the patterns and then you see what cultural story those patterns tell. Well, give us some examples from your your key learning there. I, I thought you did a great Um, summary was just illustrating how profound uh, some of the bias patterns are. Absolutely. Um, Well, there are real differences by gender, race, and age identity uh, in terms of the patterns that uh, people see in their feedback. So when you see, for instance, that women are seven times more likely than men to be described as opinionated in their formal performance feedback, or 11 times more likely to be described as abrasive, um, it's really striking, right? And you may, you may ask why the word abrasive has any role in, a, in performance feedback at all. Um, when it shows up, it is far more often attached to women. Um, you know, and by contrast, yes. men... Men are described as confident three times more often and almost four times more often described as ambitious. And so you start seeing some of these pieces. And again, it begins to tell a story about what it might be like uh, at work. You know, one of, one of my favorites um, is that even when I think managers believe they are giving positive feedback, you see striking differences in the kind of feedback that shows up. So, you know, Asian men are almost seven times more likely to be described described as brilliant uh, compared to Black and Latinx women, Um, whereas Black and Latinx women show up uh, being described as overachievers four times more often than white men. Um, So this starts to tell a story of how managers perceive their employees. And I hear this um, myself as a coach. I, I tend to coach people who are 
you know, leaders and uh, fairly accomplished professionals. And the same thing I remember from my own young days as a lawyer when there weren't many women lawyers around is still happening with women. They're called abrasive. They're called difficult. They're told uh, you don't get on well with others. I don't hear the same things coming from men. I think that uh, there's still a lack of tolerance for women uh, being direct and bold and uh, confident about their opinion sometimes. Is, is that what you're picking up there, that kind of thing? That is part of it, and that is certainly true. Um, the other elements about feedback for women specifically is they receive 22% more feedback about their personality, period, compared to men, good or bad right? And this is itself pretty insidious because feedback about somebody's personality is not especially related to their work deliverables, right? And so even the kinds of positive feedback that women tend to receive at work, they tend to be examples more about women's personality. They're things like nice and friendly and collaborative, um, and they're much less oriented towards uh, specific deliverables and accomplishments. And this is even truer as a pattern for Black and Latinx women, and even truer for women over 40 of all races. There's much more likely to be personality feedback in the mix. And of course, more of it is negative on average, but even the fact that the place managers tend to go is to personality rather than work is itself problematic. Well, as as coaches now, one of the things that people need in order to really go well on, on, on their career is um, effective feedback, feedback that they can do something with and feedback that's that's honest and helps them learn. It seems to me from just looking quickly at your research that the people who are getting that kind of feedback are more likely to be white men and in some cases, the lack of feedback could be really detrimental. Like, do I recall correctly that black men get much less feedback than anybody else? And I've got to assume that makes it more difficult to improve if you're not hearing things right. Is, is that correct? You are right, both about the patterns around black men and around the difficulty of not receiving feedback. You know, um, there is about total feedback. Black men receive a uh, third less feedback on average uh, than white women, for example. And there's also about whether the feedback you're receiving is actionable. You know, is it specific enough and clear enough that there's something you can do with it? And, you know, shockingly, black women receive nine times as much feedback that is not actionable at all compared to younger white men. And the reason this becomes problematic. Uh, is when you look at the career and salary outcomes over time for different demographic groups, there is a clear relationship between the groups that get the most and highest quality feedback and the amount of money that people make over time, right? So the highest earners uh, tend to be the people who are receiving the most feedback and the most actionable feedback. And so one of the reasons I am so passionate about language uh, and the you know, insights in this kind of research is that it's a leading indicator. You know, if we have the opportunity to help coach managers 
on some of the unconscious patterns of problematic feedback that they're communicating, we have a chance to get upstream of things like pay disparities and opportunity disparities that are the outcome of all of this, you know, over time. Because um, there's very, you know, you, you get the leading indicator. If you don't act on it, it, it does magnify over time. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. Looking at it from the individual perspective, the individual worker who's getting the feedback, being aware that these kind of things are worth really studying is um, uh, something that I've been thinking of as a coach. It's when you get feedback that feels negative, the response tends to be emotional. But if I'm working with a client, I want them to say, all right, what information are you picking up about this? And this often happens with older workers. They, they're working really hard to be tech savvy, and they're trying to be supportive in a million ways. And they get a, a positive um, feedback saying, you're so reliable. We can always count on you. The yep. <laughs> language is positive. It's framed to, intended to be positive. But what that's telling them is that they are not being heard as somebody who's tech savvy. They're not being heard as somebody who's focused on the future. They're being heard as somebody who is focused on the past. And so there's some real, if you're getting that bias feedback, it's, of course, it's upsetting and you don't want to see that happening. But it's also something that tells about the culture of the organization and also how you're being perceived. Is, is, is there a way to help people kind of deal with this sort of feedback? Is that part of your platform? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the example around older workers because it's absolutely true that people over 40 are substantially more likely to be described as responsible or even unselfish um, and much less likely to be described as ambitious. And of course, this plays into stereotypes uh, that may have nothing to do with the individual in question. Um, in general, I will say I do think the responsibility here is less on the individual and more on the organization and the manager uh, to be mindful of what they're communicating. But I do think there are things individuals can do to increase the chances that they're receiving the quality of feedback that they need to do to grow. And this assumes here, by the way, that the manager the individual is working with means to do well. And I do believe most people mean to do well. Um, you know, I often counsel individuals to ask questions like, can you give me a couple of recent examples, right? If the manager has just given you a, a piece of highly generalized feedback, um, 
there's probably an example or two underneath it. And should the manager have proactively provided those examples? Of course. If they don't, you can ask them. That's a good way to get to the substance of the feedback. Um, Another kind of question I often advise individuals to ask is, could you describe another way I could approach that? So if a manager shares uh, a problematic pattern, um, asking the manager to paint a picture of what good looks like very specifically and explicitly, it, it doesn't excuse the manager from not having given complete and helpful feedback, but at least as an individual, it increases the chances that you have the opportunity you need to learn because your career will transcend any one particular manager, right? The only person who's really the architect of your career is you. So trying to mine even these incomplete uh, pieces of feedback for all the learning you can get is very important in perpetuating your own growth. I agree with all that. Um, and I, But I also agree that if a person is getting biased, unhelpful feedback, but you do believe that your manager means well, and I agree that most do, one thing you can do is ask for an opportunity. Can I have a few minutes with you next Tuesday to run by some some suggestions or an action plan? If you can have the conversation continue, sometimes you can get the information you really need. And it uh, often is... um, kind of flattering to the person who gave you the feedback because you're taking it seriously. So it's not a bad thing to continue the conversation, even if the beginning of it kind of hurts. It can lead to a new understanding and working relationship if, if both people intend well, I think. That's a great point. I mean, I, I think the um, modern organizations are recognizing increasingly that feedback isn't a once a year conversation if it's working well that it, it really has to be a continuous conversation. That's the way to get the examples that are meaningful. You know, how terrible it would feel if you give me my annual review and you have one example of something and it was from nine months ago <laughs> and how yes. hard it is for oh. me to do anything with that, you know? So I think you're absolutely right. Asking for continuous conversation about feedback is so important. The best feedback comes in a sort of steady um, non-emotional flow, and it, it really helps people move along sometimes. Well, feedback is a really important topic in the context of bias, but there are other parts of an organization that are worthy of um, taking a look at bias, like um, recruitment and hiring. Do you focus on some of those areas? Yeah, that is really where Textio started. Um, you know, I mentioned some of those uh, data points earlier about Amazon and Meta and, and many other organizations. Um, it's certainly true that the words that you use to describe your company, your culture, the role even in particular that you're hiring for, those all change who can see themselves working in your organization. Um, and this is a place where, again, I think managers and recruiters. Uh, aren't always aware of their own biases in how they communicate. So uh, when you see um, Microsoft uh, double down on corporate cliches and how they communicate publicly, right? My alma mater, 
um, using synergy seven times more often than others or stakeholders six times more often than, than other technology companies, it absolutely like creates a selection bias for who wants to work in that culture, right? And so as an organization, you have to be really clear about who you're trying to reach are you trying to reach people who are exactly like the ones you already have? Or are you trying to diversify at all um, and just be knowledgeable? You know, we often tell our, our customers, there's no one right way to sound. You, you do have a distinct culture, but you really have to be intentional about it because candidates vote with their feet uh, and, and you know, they will consider you or not depending on how they perceive your culture. Uh, that's a, a major factor for most job seekers today and what the role that they choose to take. I think sometimes uh, people enthusiastically write about something that they like in their company. It's a family company. We are very family oriented and so forth and so forth. And the person who wants a different kind of atmosphere thinks, ooh, that's creepy. Uh, so yes. <laughs> it, it, maybe it takes, a, it takes a village sometimes to recognize what are the things that you want to say and what are the things that aren't appropriate here because they're limiting and who they're going to attract? Well, yes. And one of the reasons I really am uh, software passionate, you know, that I, I have invested so much of my career in building software is that I believe it is the only scalable way to give people the kind of coaching and enablement that they need on this communication. You know, if it were as simple as here's, seven words on a sticky note, just avoid those words, mm -hmm. relationships and business would be going a lot better. Companies would not have the, the diversity and inclusion challenges that they have. It's not as simple as here's the seven words to avoid and then you're good to go. You know, we, we are infinitely creative communicators. And uh, when you're really getting going and you're moving fast, um, it's so easy to guess incorrectly. And again, the more different your audience is from yourself, the more likely it is to go sideways. And so one of the reasons I believe in software is it has the opportunity to coach you uh, at scale in a really, you know, kind of private and affirming way. So you can fix errors before you put yourself out there. Um, that's a lot of why I'm, I'm passionate about language because it, it has big impact, and there's you know a lot we can do to get it right ahead of time, especially in writing. Well, if software isn't um, available to somebody or not yet, there are other things you can do. And I one thing I liked about your website is you had some free templates. I love checklists and templates and um, suggested language uh, within a culture. It's a way to reinforce what the collective view is of the culture, but it also makes it easier for people to not screw up when they're trying to uh, recruit. Um, tell us a little bit, because our, our listeners might like some of the things you have. It, there, you have some templates, and I think there was a free uh, certificate of something. You have shared learning on your site, would you? We do, actually. Yeah, we have a TextEOU, U for University, uh, program that does offer uh, free certification for people who just want to upskill themselves, you know, regardless of whether their organization is making a systematic investment um, on interrupting bias in hiring. And it's a really great course. It's, you know, uh, under two hours online learning sort of on demand that you can 
just go register yourself for. And if you're a recruiter or you're hiring people for your own team as a manager, it's a really worthwhile hour um, just to help upskill yourself um, and learn some of the basics that you need to. Uh, so that's a you know a, a key piece there. The report that we just published about uh, insight in performance feedback across all of these organizations is also freely available, and so you can go download it and uh, check it out and um, maybe see if there are learnings there that could apply to your own team or organization, or even just for yourself as a manager. Uh, you know, when you're sitting down to write feedback for your employees. Well, even people who are maybe just starting out professionally and are not yet managers can play a role in contributing to a organizational culture, can't they? I mean, with their own language and the questions they ask, um, w- would you agree that fighting bias is something that we can all have a, a piece of? Yeah, I don't even think just a piece of, I would say a core accountability. You know, it, you know, I, I tend to think... Uh, Culture is co-created by everybody in an organization, regardless of title or role or seniority. You know, your executive team in an organization can set values and they can help build systems that compensate or promote or reward people, you know, for various behaviors. But the truth is when most people go home at the end of the day, and they tell their loved ones how they feel about their job, they're thinking about the three or four close coworkers that they have, you know, their, their manager, uh, their closest teammates and collaborators. And if that's good, they like their job. And if that's not good, they don't. They are rarely thinking about the executive who is several leaps away from them in an organization when they decide to stay or go. And they're not thinking about what's published on a career site. You know, here are the values that we have. They're really thinking about their day-to-day experience. And so I think everybody has a responsibility um, to be a thoughtful and inclusive communicator with their colleagues because everyone wants that, that great, um, you know, pod around them of, of super colleagues. So, for our listeners out there, it kind of is our, our closing comment here. If you're concerned about bias in your organization, uh, there's some things you can do. One of them is just um, having um, interactions with your own peers and talking about some of these issues, but being careful of your language. What what else uh, might people be able to do is do you think maybe your study would be something they could share with others as a way to stimulate conversation? Absolutely. I I think it's, you know, one of the things that's most interesting is that while some of these patterns are societally broader than any one organization, there is no doubt that organizations also have their own cultures within them. And that you can change and evolve those cultures over time with commitment to doing so. And so sharing the insights is a really valuable thing. Um, You know, on our site, if you go to learn.textio.com, you can take the certification yourself and share it with colleagues can be super valuable too. But I would say above and beyond any particular resource, embracing your own learning journey, 
and having that fundamental growth mindset as part of it is the key to success. You know, being aware that regardless of whatever experience you've had, you are probably carrying some encoded biases uh, and just being open to the feedback that you receive about that along your own journey from your colleagues will do more than anything else to help make you a great colleague that people want to work with. I totally agree. And I always think if you're feeling stuck and you don't know where to begin, the starting point is to learn something new. And and you're helping people do that. Kieran, thank you so much for being here today. I'm fascinated by what you're doing, and I'm, I'm glad to know you're out there doing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun, and I appreciate your thoughtful perspective, too. Today we've been talking with linguist Kieran Snyder about the frequency of biased language in the workplace. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that if you are writing something important, it's a good idea to put your document away for a while. Then, go back and study it for words and phrases that might come across in ways you you didn't intend. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. Please, tell your colleagues about us.